Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And before I start reading these verses, you know, uh, we're only doing two verses. And, and I was preparing to do more verses. And it was one of those moments as I was preparing this week where God was like, stop here. And I was like, no, we've got more to get to. And it was no, put the car in park and stop. And, and, and turn the car off. Put it, put it in park and you do these two verses. It was very clear. And, and what we're going to talk about is, is love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You know, when we look at love and as we desire to grow in love, isn't it incredible how you see the need even more for love? As, as, you, as you start loving people and putting yourself out there in that way, in a way that God calls us to, the thing that happens is, is as you love, you see that there's an even greater need for more love. And, and so as we think about just in, even in our culture right now, man, what, what a vacuum we have right now for love that, that we need to experience and we need to see. And, and, uh, and, and we think about what the biblical definition of love is and how that's played out as, as Jesus followers. If you're a Jesus follower watching this, we need continual reminders to love in this way because nobody else is reinforcing it to us. Your, whatever news channel, they're not reinforcing that. Uh, whatever podcast, most, most of what we're taking in is not encouraging us in this way. And so I love how the Bible reaffirms God's will, what God's passionate about. And in particular, when he talks about his kind of love, he reaffirms it to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and I'll just read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll unpack it together. Uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he kicked off with, therefore, be imitators of God. Okay, so, so therefore, and, and we've been seeing the word therefore uh, throughout the book of Ephesians. And, and, and as uh, for those of you that have been following along, or maybe you're brand new, and if you're brand new, when we see this word therefore, it's essentially saying in response to what you just read. And so what did we just read? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so, so we just read that. He talked about uh, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then it says in, cha- in, in verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, so as a result of that, in light of that, therefore, be imitators of God. So this kindness, this, this, this tenderheartedness and forgiveness we take that on and, 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 we, and we know that those are characteristics of God and those are, are, are things that need to come out of our lives as we try to imitate him. And when we look at that word imitator, uh, imitator is the term from which we get mimic, someone who copies specific characteristics of another person. 
Uh, in, in other places uh, in Scripture, Paul uh, himself uh, uses himself as an example, saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He also, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he encourages uh, one of the congregations to imitate other congregations uh, that are there. But only here in Ephesians, we're told to imitate God. Now, of course, we cannot imitate God in everything, right? Like, we can't take nothing and, and have a world, right? We, we, we couldn't do that. We, we couldn't do creation. We're not all-knowing, right? We're very reminded right now that we're not all-knowing. But we can reflect His character as His image bearers who have been changed by the gospel. See, God's purpose in salvation is to redeem people from sin and to conform them to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Peter uh, tells us in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And, and as we read this, and as we start to unpack this expectation that he's transforming me into his image, I need to have his characteristics. He says, you need to be holy as he is holy. I don't know about you, but I go, oh, that's overwhelming. That's impossible. That's insurmountable. I can never do that. Because the more, uh, as you study scripture, as you learn about this, the more we learn of God's character, the more we learn how far above us he is and how impossible in ourselves it is to fulfill the command to be like him. That's why we needed help. <laughs> we can't do it by ourselves, right? You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, we read uh, earlier, and I'll read it again that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, we can't do this by ourselves in our own strength. It's the spirit who enables us to love and to look like this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit who has been given, who has been literally, it, it said what? He's been poured into our hearts. He's been given to us and he's bringing God's love in there. So, this, this, this mountain that we saw of, of be holy as he is holy, of, of take on the characteristics of, of being image of him, all of a sudden now, I'm not having to climb it. I'm actually just allowing the Holy Spirit to take me there. And I'm resting in him. See, God knew that, of course, in my, in my flesh and on this earth, I can't be perfect like him. He knows I'm going to make mistakes in that, but we 
can reflect him and we can uh, show these incredible glimpses of his character that people see and it points them to God when we allow the Holy Spirit to operate and to lead in our lives. And when you think about knowing God, to know what God is like, we have to study his word. His word is a revelation of himself to us. And I know you're like, Steve, I've been hearing that since I was a kid. If you grew up in a Christian home, your parents, where's your Bible? Read your Bible, your devotional time and that. And, 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 and maybe you just started exploring faith and, and you're like, well, yeah, I need to read this. I, I, I need to know this. Well, why do you think it's so important to read this? Why do you think we talk about it so much? Uh, because this is how you learn about who God is. And if we're here to be conformed into his image, we need to know what he looks like. We need to know the characteristics of God. And this is where we find out what those are. Here's my concern. My concern, like, like you know, I feel like we have started to package this uh, in either phrases, in sentences, uh, in, in, in little mini devos and that, and we're not getting God's word. We're not fully immersing ourselves into studying. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to... Uh, to not only convict, but to reveal more of who God is for us. And so we need to study this. Uh, one of the things I love about us going verse by verse is it's kind of like, it, it just, you're confronted with it. You're learning each week. You're, you're going through these verses and, 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 and not because uh, there's something so special and different about us for doing that. No, what we're doing though, hopefully, Lord willing, is equipping you to learn in a more effective way about who God is. Because us reading this, studying this, the point is not any of us. The point is God. He's the point. He's why we're here. And so if I want to learn about him, I've got to study what tells me about him. I mean, when you, when you think about it, have you ever tried to emulate someone else? Have you ever tried to, to, you know, to do something exactly like a certain person did something? You know, one of the things after uh, we purchased a house was all these house projects. And I've shared openly, I'm not great with tools and all of that. And, and so one of the things that I've been finding myself doing quite a bit is watching these YouTube do-it-yourself videos. And I watch these and I'm all inspired and, and I'm literally like, as they're doing it, I'm like practicing what that might look like, how to do that. Then I'm walking through Home Depot or Jerry's feeling strong, feeling like I got this. And, and I'm so excited because I, I, I feel like I'm able to actually see and, 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 to, and, and that I can learn to do exactly what they're doing to fix this problem or to build something. When you think about emulating uh, God and, and, and the characteristics of who he is and you want to know what that looks like, here it is. Here it is. This is what you study. This is what you look to. This is where the answers are. You know, you've probably heard the expression, you know, he says, he, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And you've probably heard the expression like father, like son. I've heard that one before because I have three sons. And, you know, we look at, we just take that example. Many sons take on characteristics of their dads and they want to grow up to be like them, especially when they're young. When they're older, they're like, get away from me. But, but when they're young, it's, 
it's one of those things where like dad's cool and it's natural for children. When you think about just children in general, it's natural for uh, them to want to be like their parents. And, 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 and you think about emulating uh, their parents, watching their parents. And, and then you, you see even uh, the parents' nature in their kids. And, and I don't know about uh, you, but for me, uh, when I see that, that's a scary sight because a lot of times you see some of the worst parts of you and you go, oh no, I see some of that in you and, uh, and it's a struggle. But you see them in their purity. They, they look up to you and they want to emulate what you're doing. Uh, my, my youngest, whenever I get the lawnmower out and I start mowing the lawn, all of a sudden he gets his toy lawnmower and he's right behind me. He's pushing it along. He's emulating daddy. And, uh, and, and so we see uh, them want the characteristics and watch and learn their parents. You know, and even when you think about that, so, and, and we talk about looking at God as our father, you know, this generation has been called the fatherless generation. We have so many children and people coming from fatherless homes or fathers who were absent or maybe even abusive. But thankfully, every believer gets a new father, God the Father. And we're told to emulate him as his, it says, beloved children. And so I don't know your background with your mom or your dad. And when you see verses like that, if it brings tension in, into your life, into your heart, and you go, man, this is, this is a struggle I have with the Bible. Well, listen, God the Father is nothing like your earthly father. And, and even if your father was a great father, God is so, <laughs> is so much bigger and, and, and supersedes that in so many ways. And when you think about that, like, man, how did he even bring us into it? We've, we've read some of these verses in Ephesians. How did we become his children? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, when we were kicking off this series, it says, He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. So he adopted us through Jesus Christ according to his will, reminding us that we are his kids by his design, his desire. You are wanted. You have a plan. You have a purpose. You have brothers and sisters that maybe you didn't even know you had. You have a family, the church. And, and, and we look at um, just how he's done this and brought us into that and, and, and when you think about just God and, and, and the Father's love, essentially, and we think about emulating our Father here, the greatest evidence of His love, and, and we can even point back to chapter 4, verse 32, we see this, this evidence of His love in and through this undeserved forgiveness that He gives us. Incredible forgiveness. You know, he, he had stated that we should be motivated to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And for many of us, that is like the most incredible thought that I can be forgiven. When you think about the supreme act of God's love, it was to give, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what? He gave his one and only son. 
God's love for humanity brought forgiveness. God loved the world with such a great love that he offered forgiveness to sinful, uh, rebellious mankind by sending his own son to give his life on the cross that humanity might not have to suffer and die. What an incredible act. He offered the world the free gift of eternal fellowship with him. Because forgiveness is the supreme evidence of God's love, it will also be the most convincing proof of our love. When we think about modeling, imitating the Father here and and that word therefore, and as we reflect back on that forgiveness, um, love will always lead us to forgive others, just as love led God in Christ to forgive us. Nothing more clearly discloses a hardened heart than a lack of forgiveness. Lack of forgiveness illuminates a lack of love. And even deeper, a disconnect with the gospel. See, the extent of our love is also the extent of our ability to forgive. Your love, you may say, oh, I love everybody and all this, but you can't say that your love is Christ's kind of love yet if you're still harboring unforgiveness for a person or different people. You just can't. According to what Jesus Christ did, according to what we just read, there's no way you can reconcile those two things together. Because if he's forgiven you, uh, who was far from him, an enemy of that, rebellious, didn't want anything to do with him, and he still went to the cross, willingly forgave us in that. And you think about that, but no, there's still somebody in your life who you can't forgive for whatever reason it is. Those two things cannot agree with each other. They just can't. The extent of our love is the extent of our ability to forgive. And just as the depth of God's love is shown by how much he has forgiven us, the depth of our love is shown by how much we forgive. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? I need to hear that. Because I'm telling you right now, man, there's so much sin in my past. There's so much sin that continues to reoccur and rise up. There's so many moments that I go, oh, man, there it is again. There that struggle is again. There's that issue. There's that word. There's that thought. And it continues. And, And to read a verse like that, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And he's saying, I do that for you. You do that for each other. And the Greek word, when we think about uh, earnestly or, or maybe fervently in your uh, in, in the Bible you're reading out of, it, it refers to a muscle stretched to the limit. So our love is to stretch to the limit in order to cover a multitude of sins. The greater our love, the greater the multitude of sins, it will cover in forgiveness. And so when you think about um, honestly, the unforgiveness, the, 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 the resentment there that you're unwilling to let go of or unwilling to deal with with this other person, it's actually a reflection that there, there is a defined endpoint in your love right now. And God says, let's break through that. That's not my kind of love. And be thankful that's not my kind of love because his love went to the end, right? He didn't wait. He didn't wait for us to figure it out. God sent his one and only son, right, for us. 
not because we were perfect, not because we deserved it or earned it uh, or did all this and said all that. No, he just sent him because he loves you so much. And he, (laughs) out of that love, said, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to provide a path to me. The greater our love, the greater the multitude of sins it will cover in forgiveness. I feel like right now is an important time, not only in our lives, but in our culture, to think about forgiveness. In verse 2, it said, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the pattern for Christian living for this, in this new, uh, in Christ, this, this new identity that we have through a relationship with him, uh, our pattern for living is based upon Jesus. In particular, we are to imitate his love. And this verse is so powerful. It provides an incredible description of what genuine biblical love is. And that's this. Love involves giving ourselves away for the good of another. What did it say? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So love involves giving ourselves away for the good of another. He loved us and he gave himself up for us. God's love not only is forgiving and unconditional, but is also self-sacrificing. And he's going he's gonna to hit on that a whole bunch more because in uh, about three weeks, we're going to be talking about marriages. So get ready. And he's going to talk about this uh, some more. But, but I just want you to imagine as, as, as he's talking about uh, this whole mindset of sacrificial love, that th- this love that really uh, <laughs> is based out of, I'm, I'm, what does it say? I give myself away for them. He gave himself up for us. And you think about that's what it is, essentially, this sacrificial love. It's giving myself up uh, for the benefit of somebody else, right? It's sacrificing my wants, my desires, all these things for the benefit of somebody else, putting their needs and wants ahead of mine. And and we don't like to do that, right? There's pride, there's selfishness, uh, there's agendas that we have. But I'm always reminded of Luke chapter 22. There is just this powerful scene in scripture where Jesus is, is close to being arrested. He's having dinner with his, apost- with his disciples and he's there in the setting. And you can just imagine the tension uh, that he's feeling and experiencing as he knows what's about to happen. And all of a sudden the disciples start this argument. Now we got we to gotta believe, right? This must be a huge argument because I mean, uh, man, time is of the, of, of the urgent right now. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, like Jesus is saying, this is about to happen and all this. So what is this argument that's so important? The argument was over who was the greatest. They were arguing over who was the greatest. Jesus is there, their savior. <laughs> Having dinner. He's looking around. He's about to leave them. He knows that. He sees, you know, the time he spent with them. And, and you just imagine how deep that is. And, and then to hear them start arguing in a way that reflects everything but what he came to do. And it's like, well, what did he do then? What's his response to that? 
You want to you wanna imitate <laughs> Jesus and see what he's about? That's what he does. I mean, you and I, we probably would have lost it, right? Yelled at him. How dare you? This is my moment. This is our time. You're missing out on the greatest event. I'm about to go to the cross for all of you and this and that, overturning tables. Da, da, da. No, you know what he does? He grabs a basin of water and he starts washing their feet one by one. Goes around the table and he's washing their nasty feet. That's what the low of the low servant would do. No, 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 no. As they're arguing over who's the greatest, Jesus grabs that water, goes down, gets down on his knees, and he washes their feet. You want to talk about self-sacrificing? Unconditional, sacrificial love? Man, have you ever washed someone's feet? I was, I was doing a wedding, and whenever I, I do a wedding, I, and, and I'm doing premarital with a couple, and as, as it gets close to the actual ceremony, we start walking through what they want in their ceremony. It's really exciting, and they get to build out this incredible ceremony, this moment where we celebrate. And, and uh, I was pr doing premarital with this one couple, and, and, and there's typically a point in the ceremony where they do something that pictures the unity and the unifying effect of them coming together before God. And, and uh, as, I, as I talked about that moment, I, I asked, is there anything that you guys have in mind during this? And, and he said, I want to wash your feet. Now, she didn't have a very church, like she was very unfamiliar with what it says about foot washing the Bible. And she's like, you want to wash my feet? Um, but as he unpacked that to her, it was this powerful moment. And I'll never forget that wedding ceremony. I'll never forget a moment where this groom gets down on his knees and just starts in front of everybody, just washing her feet to symbolize his sacrificial love for her. And it was beautiful. And it was so powerful. And it was so different than the love that we, we project out. The love that we actually give. Or, or that's conditions based. Like th this, this is totally different than that. And, 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 and I think what's important too is when you see this kind of sacrificial love does not proclaim itself. Okay, like, like it just doesn't. You know, like, like Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, now I'm going to model to you what I'm all about. Watch as I sacrificially uh, just wash your feet now. Let's all look at me as I do this. No, he just gets down and he starts modeling it. And it just reminds me, as John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, when he said, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I'm telling you right now, uh, when you think about biblical love, it's, it's, it's not a pleasant emotion or a good feeling about someone or even feeling sorry for someone. It involves sacrifice and action. 
And just as he said here, let's not love in, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So if you want to love from a, from a biblical standpoint, it's going to be sacrificial and there's going to be an action with it. And, and, I, want you, and, and I think this is a big, uh, important issue for us right now because one of the things I believe that we're getting caught up in is believing uh, in somebody's heart. We're judging or, or, or we're, we're, we're literally saying, oh, your heart's like this or like that based upon how loud they are whether that's coming from their mouth, coming from what they post or all that. And we're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Wow, look at that. When, when I look at biblical love and I go, man, it's so dangerous because a lot of times people uh, that are making the most noise, their fruit of their life and the deeds that are coming out of their life are far from the love we actually think is there. And when you think about the people that are the closest people in your life who you say, I love more than anything. They are there. They are my rock. They are my foundation. And you love them. That love, that foundation is built off of truth. It's built off of times, events, situations that you've walked through together. It's tested. It's true. It's been sacrificial in nature too, uh, uh, between uh, multiple people. It, it, it's, it's been something where, where it's proven from difficult situations that they're going to be in your corner, that they mean what they say. And that's so important for us. Uh, listen, right now we can get so caught up in being the loudest that we can actually miss out on what uh, the Bible talks about is true, genuine, sacrificial love. And it is going to be known uh, to all through what we do. And so I care more about us. I care more about my marriage, uh, me as a father, our church, and that. I, I'm never going, what are we right now? I'm going, what are we becoming? And is what we're saying aligning with what we're becoming? And if, is what we're saying we value, is that an action item? Is that, is, is that being demonstrated with what we're doing? And that's the standard because Jesus, what did he do? He demonstrated his love with flesh and blood. Romans 5, 8, right? But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he demonstrated his love, not just in the foot washing, but with his flesh and blood as we think about communion there. And from what we've been reading in these last three, four, five, six, seven weeks, we've been seeing these action items that we see throughout Ephesians and through what's been talked about as what this love looks like. This love looks like loving one another, forgiving one another, spreading the gospel, being patient with others, how we respond to other people. We talked about that hardened heart, how we, how we have to deal with some of those things, loving those people that, that may annoy you, that you're angry with. How do you deal with that? We talked in Ephesians chapter two about repenting of the racism that was happening and is happening in our lives and displaying love to different people groups as God is, is literally saying, you are new, a new, uh, you're a new creation now. This in Christ wasn't before, it's new. And this is what it looks like. And all those things now are gone. You are one, together, unified, displaying love. And it's a beautiful, diverse picture of him. We see aiding those in need. When people are in need, we help, we meet those needs in a sacrificial, loving way. Divine love is unconditional love. Love that depends entirely on the one 
who loves and not on the works or the response of the one loved. Christ did not simply have a deep feeling and emotional concern for mankind, nor did he sacrifice himself because we were deserving, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Romans 5.10, he talks about, you know, while we were still, uh, well, while we were uh, enemies, we, w- we were yet reconciled, we were enemies. So we weren't just like, I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with you. We were actually enemies. And yet he still was willing to sacrifice. He gave himself for us purely out of sovereign, gracious love, taking our sin upon himself and paying its penalty on our behalf. God's love and all love that is like his loves for the sake of giving, not getting. With conditional love, if the conditions are not met, there is no obligation to love because they don't deserve it. If we do not get, we do not give. God makes no conditions for his love to us and commands that we love others the same way. There is no way to earn God's love or to deserve it by human goodness. God loved us while we were still sinners and enemies, as I said before, and he continues to love us as believers, even though, even though, and we need to hear this, some of us, we continue to sin. (laughs) Like, well, I'm a believer now. I'm I'm a Jesus follower. We're still continuing to sin. We still continue to fall short of his perfection, of his glory. We we keep making mistakes. Like he loves us even when we forget him. Some of us, we have been so distracted with all these things. Honestly, we've forgotten him. Our Bible's been far from us. Uh, Our feeds and and, and the news and everything else has replaced that. We've forgotten him in all of this. Uh, When you think about we disobey him, when we deny him, when we when we fail to even return back to him, when we grieve uh, his Holy Spirit, all these things we see in Christ, it's now our nature to love just as it's God's nature to love because his nature is now our nature. So even in those mistakes, even in those situations, he's continued to love us and that same kind of love that he's continued to love you through, he says that's in you now. You've got that. Now demonstrate it. Love others like that. When they, when they fail you, when they fall short of your expectations for them, when, when they do this to you, when they say this about you, when, all these, when, they, you know, when they lie, all these things, he says, go the extra mile. You're going to love in an unconditional way. And you have the Holy Spirit to help you. See, if God's love can reach out to even his enemies, how can we refuse to love ours? If he loves his imperfect children with a perfect love, how can we not love fellow believers who are our brothers and sisters whose imperfections we also share in? How can we not love them? And this is a big one right now. I think the thing when we think about just uh, the divisive nature of everything going on in our culture, I mean, really for however long... (laughs) We've been in this pandemic. Uh, we've seen so many divisive uh, things arise and, and, uh, and tragedies and that. And I think one of the things that breaks my heart is to see believers not model and reflect this love that we're supposed to have in our new nature. And I want to encourage us to be the leaders in loving this way, to be the leaders in how we talk about people behind their back, 
and how we're going to choose to love and forgive, to be the leaders in how we address conflict, whether it's on social media, uh, whether it's over the phone, whether it's over text, whether it's in person now, however that is, I just pray that we lead the charge in this love that he calls us to and calls us to model. In particular, if you're a Jesus follower, because we're brothers and sisters. Christ giving himself up for us, it said, what? Uh, in, in verse two, a fragrant offering sacrifice to God. So, so this, this, this offering and, and a sacrifice to God was a fragrant aroma to the heavenly father because uh, that sacrifice demonstrated in the fullest and most ultimate way God's kind of love. The sin that put him to death was itself put to death and that great act of love was to God a fragrant offering. You know, when we think about that, that word, and, and it may say pleasing aroma in your version, it, in the Old Testament, this description of, it was a description of God's acceptance of a sacrifice given from a sincere and wholehearted worshiper. We see Noah do this at the end of the flood, and, and we see it in Leviticus. And um, Christ's death was a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. When you look at that, it was acceptable. He received it. But I want you to notice something. Christ gave himself up for us, but it was an offering to God. He gave himself up for us, but it was an offering to God. And this is the pattern of love for us. Don't miss this. You know, Paul is taking uh, really this, this collection uh, of, of, of funds and he's thanking uh, the church. And we see this in Philippians 4.18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, they gave this offering to God, to Paul, but God received it as worship. So what they gave out of love, Paul was essentially the recipient of it, but God received it as worship because it was about God. It wasn't about Paul. And Paul said, God is pleased. God is pleased. This is a worship of God, not me. See, when we love, it's always for God and about God, not a person. Some of us have people in our lives that we need to love because of God, not because of them. And that is so hard. I'm telling you, I, I am not sitting here. Sometimes I think people think, oh, the pastors, they just act like this is so easy. And No, this is so hard. I was thinking about this. I was like, man, this is so hard to do. It's so hard. But it's not about them. How you love them is a sacrificial offering to God. So God has to be my focus. If I'm going to love them, if I'm going to forgive, like God has to be the focus here. If I'm going to live in this way as a sacrificial love, like God has to be the focus of this. I mean, like <laughs> that's where my mindset has to be. I mean, because here's the reality. Do you think this person or these people that are in your life that, that you go, man, I can't love them. Do you think they're there in your life randomly by accident? See, that was a huge game changer for me as a pastor. 
Because when I first became a pastor, it was like, God, man, I can't believe they're here. Why are they at my church? What am I going to do? I got to get rid of them. God, this is bad. And they're doing this and that and all that. And, and all of a sudden, I remember one night I was just, I was, I was in bed and I was just, I was just over it. I was done. I was exhausted. I was discouraged. I felt defeated. And I just went to God with it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't even want to see them. I can't. And, and, and God was like, hey, just maybe I've designed you to be their pastor for such a time as this. No, no, I didn't hear that. <laughs> right? When you hear something from God, you don't want to hear, no. And it changed everything for me. It changed everything. It changed everything to think of the reality that just maybe that person actually needs to be in your life. Maybe God's placed you uh, in their life for an incredible reason where he's going to do something beyond what you could have ever asked or thought of. And maybe it's even reached this person with the gospel. Who knows? Maybe it's going to change the very course of their life, how they live, how they parent, how they, how they work, their marriage, you know, and, and, and maybe it's just somebody in their life that's going to be honest with them for the first time. But listen, I'm telling you, this, this was a game changer for me to realize that, that the people that are in my life um, the people that I'm going to rub shoulders with or, or, or see or, or that are a part of, of our church or our community or that, no matter how hard or difficult it is, and maybe, they, they, and maybe they're just, they're, they're difficult, maybe they're in opposition to you. It doesn't even matter because it's not about them. It's about God. And guess what? My sacrificial gift, my act of worship to God is I'm going to love them. I'm going to be truthful to them. I'm going to be honest to them. Now, I'm not going to endorse things if they're doing things outside of God's will. But you know what? Part of loving them is going to them and, and, and having that conversation. I, I talked about this last week and our mouths and the power there in that. And, and it's important. And that's a huge piece if we're going to love well. But I'm going to tell you right now, if it's about that person, there's no way in your flesh you're going to love them. But if it's about God, if it's about who you are in Christ, the new nature that he says he's given you, and if, and if, if Jesus can wash those guys' feet, you can forgive them. You can love that person. May God make us a people that love others like he loves us. And may our love be that pleasing aroma. Make it about God. Right now, our culture, our society is trying to get you to think it's about him, her, that person, that news, that party. No, it always comes back to God. It always comes back to him. So I just want to challenge you. What's going to help you to stay focused on God in this? Bible. Study this. Immerse yourself in this. This will guard your heart. This will protect your heart. This will uh, enable your heart to love, to forgive, to meet people where they're at and to see that it was never even about them. It's always been about God. He loves you so much. Let's pray.